Hey friends, welcome back to another episode of Smoke Signals. Uh, we should be talking about a critical series about the Detroit Tigers this weekend and the Cleveland Indians, but instead, we have other things to talk about, which officially makes this a distraction. I'm Justin Latta, and I'm joined by John Fanta and Willie Hood. Guys, how are you doing? And uh, is this officially a distraction? <laughs> you bet it's a distraction and today it only got worse it's amazing to me that in the midst of everything going on with the indians with mike clevenger and zach plesak once monday evening came around zach plesak situation took a whole back seat it was like three or four tiers lower in my opinion in how severe it was uh, Zach Plesak's violation because he was transparent. He did cooperate, and the Indians had a chance to isolate him from the rest of the team. Mike Clevenger, for me, was three, four times worse because he doubled down, he lied further, and uh, and he put his the rest of his team at risk. Well, today, as we talk on Thursday evening, Zach Plesak, it's almost like a race of how much worse can this get? Who's going to handle this worse? Because the fact that he came out and said what he said, there is nothing gained. I don't really care what you have to say. There's rarely, if ever, anything gained by saying anything after some sort of a scandal or some sort of a violation or a team uh, protocol that you didn't follow. And in this case, uh, it's as if this situation, which really couldn't have been worse at the middle of this week because of Plucko, Bieber, Lindor, Francona all saying that that these two guys have created a distraction and they don't know how they're going to earn the rest of the clubhouse's trust back. Well, they have somehow made that distraction worse. And the Indians, who typically have very little tolerance for issues like this, they have got to have their head steaming right now as an organization because they have no control over this situation. It has spiraled out of control and it's absolutely inexcusable what Zach Plesak did on Thursday. I'll add to what John had to say. I, I, I completely agree. It feels like there's a race to the bottom. Who can make the situation the worse? And, you know, the best thing you can do when you've been reprimanded is to take it humbly, walk away, apologize, and keep your mouth shut. And uh, Plesak has not done that. I, frankly, I agree with what John said. Uh, Clevenger's, to me, the situation that he put the team in, I, I would trade him. You know, I was saying earlier in, in the previous podcast, I don't even think it's time for that conversation. I do now. Um, Plesak is, <laughs> you know, I, I straight up said when it happened with Plesak that he needed to be demoted. Um, he's showing he's an amateur baseball player, not a professional baseball player right now. I, uh, I send him back to the amateur levels then and let him stew on that and, and chew on that bone, if you will, for a little while and let him handle what the situation that he has made, not the media. He can blame the media. He can blame the social media. You know, frankly, I don't even consider myself a member of the media because I don't, I don't work in that field. I work in the healthcare field. I chime in as a fan and I write as a fan. Um, 
frankly, I find it frustrating. Is it a distraction? Yes, absolutely. I'm not even thinking about games this weekend or what the Indians record is. I'm thinking about, man, these guys are two idiots and what have they done? What kind of risks have they taken and who have they potentially exposed even on their own team? That is not selflessness. That is selfishness. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bad situation all around. That's exactly why I said we're, we're leading off with this instead of the Indians' terrible offense, which we will get to. But let's just kind of run back through things so everybody's kind of caught up. So obviously everybody at this point, since we've had the last podcast, we know that Clevenger and Plesak both um, went out to dinner with, with some of Zach Plesak's friends, and they went back to his friend's apartment or house or whatever, and they hung out. They claim there's only eight of them and they were staying six feet apart, whatnot. That's fine. You still broke the rules. You, you broke curfew. You're supposed to be back in there. We learned that police act owned up to it on Sunday and the team asked him not to be with them. He was, he was driven back to Cleveland by a car service. Mike Clevenger instead sat in a meeting and defended Zach police act while not admitting to being with Zach police act and was around the team, flew back with them. Then it came out that he was there. Um, so he, he lied about his involvement in, in being out when he wasn't supposed to be and stuck up for police sack, pulling a real you know hypocritical situation there. And I'm going to say Francona's thoughts were that they were both in different levels of acceptance. And I took that as Clevenger because police sack had already released a statement at that point. And he even put out an Instagram post, uh, what was that, two days ago. Life can throw some crazy things at you, but how you respond is the testament. What you may think is harmless can actually have consequential outcomes. And the lesson learned is this. Most important thing is we can take care of each other. Putting others first and having character to understand why there was a greater impact if we are selfless. And then today, uh, what does he say? What did he say today? Um back through the media is really terrible man the media is terrible they do some evil things to create stories and make things sound better sound better make things sound worse truthfully i'm disgusted the way the media has handled this whole situation surrounding our team there would be no freaking situation if you didn't create it they created the situation and i don't i want to know who he's talking about as the media i think I'm going to say this now. I don't, he's not referring. I don't think he's referring to any of us. But if he is, I'd like him to call names out. If you're going to have the stones to make this video, which let's ignore the fact that he's doing a video while driving and talking about safety. That's real safe, isn't it, Zach? Have the stones to say who you're taking in the media. Because was it was it Andre not? No. We know what Andre not has said on the air. He's He's been accountable for what he says. Was it Zach Meisel? No. Roberto Perez tried to call him out too, and now Roberto Perez deleted his Twitter account. Uh, was it Paul Hoynes? No, it wasn't Paul Hoynes. Uh, was it Mandy Bell? No, it wasn't Mandy Bell. Zach Plesak knows who covers the team. He knows who the media is. It's it's uh, it's Andre. John, you're on the Zoom calls every night. Um, it's Zach. It's Ryan Lewis. It's Mandy Bell. It's, it's Tom Withers. Uh, Matt Lodi, Joe Noga, Joe Noga. If, if it's one of those guys, I'm telling you, we, we follow each other. We know, we read each other. We know what everyone said. If you're going to say it's one yep. of them, point out who. 
Because if you see what they've said on Twitter, what they've said on the air, what they've written, they have not said anything that wasn't true. They didn't even interject their opinion. All they said was what happened, what they were broke curfew. They reported that police act owned up to it and had had to be driven back home. And then they reported that Clevenger lied about it. So if it's somebody else, have the stones to say who it is instead of saying the media is terrible, because that is some cop out bullshit. That's all I have to say about that. Have the stones to say exactly who you're talking about, because otherwise it's weak and you're trying to play the victim in a situation where you created it. And to me, what Adam Plutko said the other night about how they lied to us and how they hurt, I want to know, does the team feel like the media is dragging them through the mud? Because if so, then we've got a bigger problem. But Adam Plutko went out there and stung him pretty good with words the other night, and I feel like that was representative of what was going on in the locker room because Adam Plutko is their team representative. So to me, I think Zach Flusak's topping out and playing the victim now. He's absolutely playing the victim, and it's very well said by you. Um, And way to not hold back, because here's the thing. The media keeps each other in check. And I would say right now that if one of us says something that's a little bit harsh or a little bit out of line, you're going to see other guys say, oh, you know, I don't know if that was I don't know if that was warranted or, oh, you know, Justin, there's that conduct. There's that conduct by a press pool that said Cleveland media. And I I do a lot of my work in New York and New Jersey. If this happened to Yankees or Mets, the amount of pressing questions that would be pouring in would have no end to them. I think every question about this situation has been pretty fair. And the past couple days, the questions about baseball still outweighed the questions about this ridiculous situation. So if you think this is bad, Zach Plesak, I don't know what you expected. I don't know what you're thinking. But is Adam Plutko terrible for calling you out? Is Shane Bieber terrible for saying you screwed up? Is Terry Francona terrible for saying uh, that he doesn't know how you're going to gain the rest of the clubhouse's trust back? You know, are those guys terrible too? Is Carlos Carrasco terrible for worrying? The guy had leukemia. You put him at risk. You put a 59-year-old Terry Francona at risk. You're putting Carl Willis, who's in his 60s, at risk. And the worst thing of all in this situation is that you said before the season how important it was to not go out to bars, how much you were stressing to limit social activities, and how that was in the back of your mind at the moment. You know, if Zach Plesak had just committed the violation and was disciplined quarantining for 72 hours and that was it, I get it, man. He's 25 years old. He's a kid. Kids make mistakes. It happens. It's life. It's okay. But to double down here and start blaming the media who have been more than fair on this when they really, I have not seen any commentary that's gone above and beyond or gone way beyond the, that yellow caution tape, if you will. They've brought this upon themselves, not only committing the violation, Your own teammates are the ones who are quoted in the articles and the coverage. The media hasn't had a narrative to make up. The narrative speaks for itself in the quotes from your teammates who you put at risk after all the things the Indians have done and said. An organization that prides itself. I just asked Sandy Alomar last Friday, 
what's it say about you guys as an organization that you mostly haven't had any issues? And he says, I wa- he said, I wasn't surprised because I played for this organization and we've always been aware of what to do and how to get it done. So this is not only a slap in the face. Look, players, we see it all the time in Berea with the Browns. We see players rip on the media, all that. This wasn't Tony Grossi or Mary Kay Cabot making up a narrative. Those are two longtime good reporters, but we've all seen them make up narratives and get in wars with Baker and who else? You know, this is a situation where you've got players that are trying to create a narrative that simply isn't true. And there is no narrative. Facts are facts. You broke the rules. Your teammates are pissed at you. And now you've broken the clubhouse in a 60-game sprint of a season. The Indians have enough problems on the field. They don't need this. And now they have it. And, guys, I thought maybe by this weekend we have some clarity on when one of these guys might be back because the Indians have to get their rotation plans in order or normally we'll let people know what they plan to do in the future games and days. Guess what? Those plans just got a lot harder because there's no way Zach Plesak is starting anytime soon. And if he does, I'd be downright shocked because if he's on that mound in the next week or 10 days, it's not going to be with the trust of his teammates behind him. That's for damn sure. Well said. I, yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. Willie, do you have anything you want to add on top of, of all that? <laughs> you know, I, I think Adam Pluko, as the player rep, hit the nail on the head. He called him out, as he should. Um, you know, that's what I want to hear, is a young, a young man acting professionally, keeping his um, teammates accountable. And that's exactly what he's done. And this is not accountability. This is not taking responsibility for an action. This is um, dismissing and, and trying to discharge all of what um, Zach has done. He's trying to deflect now at this point. And the thing I said he needs to do is keep his mouth shut, apologize, keep his head down, and act humbly. And this is not humility coming from him. Um, fact of the matter, if he wants to talk about safety, he needs to wear a seatbelt right too while he's driving. But that's another thing for another time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, there's really no no good angle to this. And yeah, no, no. And can I jump in with this? This is a total a total side observation. People want to know why conferences and why college sports are not happening this fall. Look, the health and safety of of student athletes. If if these conferences could go ahead and have these sports, they would because they have to make their money to survive. There's millions and millions of dollars at stake here that the, that the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are giving up on because they simply just don't believe in the fact that they can hold college sports this fall. But all you have to do is look at the mentalities of Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger, and I'm not saying that every single college kid is like that. I'm not saying that at all. But I am saying you're talking about guys 18 to their early 20s, mid-20s. This is the mentality of every part of a large group right now in our world. And I understand you're making sacrifices. I understand you're, you're doing this, that, and the third. Let me tell you something. The sacrifices Zach Plesak and Mike Clevenger are making by staying in their hotel room after they get to make thousands of dollars. Uh, I know they're not you know millionaires because they're young pitchers and, and the contracts are the way they are. But the, 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 the sacrifices that they're making, staying at five-star hotels and doing all that, are absolutely nothing compared to the doctors, the nurses, 
the healthcare professionals who are saving people's lives for about $60,000 a year, maybe. So this, this to me is a reflection too of our, it's a reflection of where we are as a, as a culture, you know, as a people right now. It's why I, I cringe, you know, at, at college campuses reopening guys, because we all know we only are in college once COVID or not. These kids are going back. They're doing their thing. It's a Petri dish, a Petri dish of activity. So just a, a side observation on where we are in the world. This is just another reflection of that. You know, this boneheaded series of events, and it's so out of character for the Cleveland Indians organization. And the biggest question now is, what is next? What is going to happen next to these two? Because something has to happen more seriously than just a restricted list. Uh, this is a, a, it's a really, it's a bad, bad situation. And I, I don't think that that's blowing it out of proportion. I think Zach Plesak blew everything out of proportion by going on Instagram and posting a video and not even apologizing. Yeah, it, it's like we're stuck in a soap opera. I mean, Willie, you always say you like baseball because it's a good distraction and it gets you away from everything else. And we have not said a word yet about, I mean, the offense is, is the biggest story of, of the season so far because the pitching, well, I guess maybe Shane Bieber was before this, but the offense has been so bad. But we're, you know, we're 15 minutes into recording this and we haven't even spoken about a single game or anything going on on the field. And, you know, John, like you just mentioned about this, this is something the Indians just haven't experienced. It's something that doesn't happen to this organization usually. I really want to know what's going to happen, what is going to happen next, because they have not had to deal with the storm like this. And it's probably not, like you said, it's not going to be as bad as it would be in New York or anywhere else. The media is fairly, you know, quote, unquote, the media is fairly tame here, and everyone does a good job um, covering the team. And for this to be breaking out right now, I just, I don't know how they're going to handle it next, because you're right. They can't, they can't trust these two guys. And, Police act only just made it worse, and I guess at least Clevenger has been silent. But who knows if that'll change? I mean, I think that's Police Act's argument. Right. He feels like he and Clevenger have been made out to be monsters through all this, and by the media. I I have seen things who have called out yeah. Police Act and Clevenger's character. Those are fans, though. They're not media members. So who like I said who is he talking right. about? That's the problem. And, and they're just inviting more, more problems in this clubhouse. And like you said, they already have their own problems. We're, well, we, we, were on, we were on post-game last night, and our first caller is pushing the panic button and, and saying that, the, that both of them could be run out of town. Now, I'm not going to sit here and say that. The media, I feel, has been more than fair. And I know you could say, well, it's easy for you to say you're part of it. But I, I, I'll say it once again here. You know, no media member, a lot of us are locals. No media member wants to purposefully, I've never in my early career, and I could say that the guys that have been doing this a long time, nobody's out to get somebody, especially when there's a pandemic going on in our world. Nobody wants to write the negative doomy gloom story. People are looking for baseball as a resort. Now you've brought this pandemic into that world too. So, you know, I'm not getting fired up here. I don't want to be fired up. I want to talk baseball. I don't want to be fired up and talking negative storylines like we're talking about here. But it needs to be said because it's the damn truth. These two messed up. And, and Zach Plesek does not come off remorseful. 
And that's a direct correlation to what Terry Francona said of the levels of acceptance by these two kids. It's, it is, it's just a bad situation, and it doesn't help that the Indians are not playing good baseball and really haven't played good baseball through the first 19 games. They've gotten great pitching, um, but they, the offense has been the worst in OPS in the leagues and one of, if not the worst, in Major League Baseball thus far. Of course, that can fix itself, but it's hard to fix a lot of things when you've got concerns off the field, and clearly they do. And all this off day has done has ballooned it. I mean, it's amazing. I thought maybe an off day they could decompress, try to turn a new leaf heading into tomorrow. If anything, again, it's gotten worse. So, you know, this is, I, I just, I think it's so wrong to call out the media. First off, that never works. Second off, there was literally zero reason to do it. And uh, it's sad. It really is because uh, I didn't think Zach Plesak would be like this, but uh, he's handled this very, very poorly. And now you got a lot of people that are out against you. And the Indians handle that typically uh, in a way that's not too kind to whoever the violator is. So we will see what happens from here. I think we'll start to get some answers tomorrow. They didn't have to have media availability on Thursday, but they're going to have to answer a lot of questions about this whole incident heading into tomorrow. And I'm curious to see how they handle it. I'll add in that my grandmother once told me, you made your bed and I'll lie in it. Uh, Zach has made his bed. He yeah. needs to lie in it. As far as offense goes, I mean, it's it's <laughs> it's been awful. Let's be honest about it. It, it really has. When you score two runs or less in 12 out of 19 games, I mean, 66% of the games that they're playing, they're they're not producing runs. That's not enough offense to win games. I look at this club and I say, you know what? Um, this is a club that has the pitching that can contend for a World Series championship. This club lacks the hitting to contend for a World Series championship. And fact of the matter is they're going to have to do something to alter that, or they're just a middling team that may make the playoffs as the last wild card, maybe be the seventh or eighth team to make it. But fact of the matter is, if you're going to score two runs, you're not going to win games against the Astros, against the Yankees, against the Athletics in the playoffs. Can they do that? Can they add offense in season and add what they need also? Because to me, they need more than one bat. Where? I mean, the, the outfield, they have 26 guys out there, it feels like to me, but but nobody who's an everyday player, you know? I mean, you can't just scrap together an outfield and hope something sticks. And that's the way it has felt. Um, seeing Mike Freeman getting playing time over Oscar Mercado, Bradley Zimmer, and Domingo Santana. Why even sign Santana if you're not going to play him? And all of these guys have been sitting for days now or or periodically with Zimmer, but Mercado hasn't played since Friday. Yeah, that's that's really surprising. We could we could transition out of that, um, out of the early rant. John had to jump off, but um, if they're going to add, if they're going to add offense, do you do it by trading Mike Clevenger? Like I, that's what I'm starting to wonder now. Is I I we both said it on Twitter. I think I I think that uh, it's not out of the realm of possibilities because they were going to trade him. They were exploring trades or at least getting collecting offers and, and, and assessing his value last winter. He's going to be at arb- arbitration eligible for the second time this coming winter. He's 30. He's got a history of a few injuries, nothing serious, but you know, some odd things that have cropped up. And I feel like using him as trade bait while, you know, dumping some problems off the team in the locker room to add a, add a bat 
could be possible. So do you think that's one way they can do it? My other question is too, where do they add the bat? Because your, your starting infield is set. So it's got to be in the outfield, right? You already have a DH. Your four infielders play every day as it is. That's why Christian Arroyo was designated for assignment, which we'll get to at the end of the podcast. Um, and you already have, what, eight outfielders? So where, who do you get rid of? And, and where do you and, – and who who do you add into the outfield if you make a trade? You know, I, I can't help but think if, if you're going to pull off a, a trade of that magnitude, maybe you chip in an outfielder. On a, deal, on a deal to get it done and maybe get an extra prospect. You know, maybe you get the future Francisco Lindor back in the trade, the, the, the future shortstop of, of the club, you know. Um, I I think any way you go, if you give up an arm like Clevenger, you have to get a return. And frankly, you know, having seen Trevor Bauer, he traded after the, the big incident, pitching the, all over the wall last year. Um, you know, I, I heard a lot of people saying, well, he just tanked his value it. Sure didn't look that way whenever they got five players in return. So I, I don't think that Clev has destroyed his value. I think the biggest things that will come up on him are the nicks and, and the dings that he's had physically. Um, yeah, there's some other questions off field with him. Um, you know, TMZ stuff that I don't want to get into on here. But, you know, I, I think he's an excellent pitcher when he's right. He hasn't really looked right this year. Um I would still argue he's still a top 15, top 20 arm in the in all of baseball. And I think when you look at what uh, Trevor Bauer brought last year, I, personally, I would consider Bauer a better pitcher. Um, but Bauer was coming off of a pretty hot year, but middling last year, you know. So, um, seeing what Bauer brought for a year and a half, you have to think Clevenger for at least two years plus can get more than that or at least equivalent to that. Yeah, I would agree. And, and there's teams that need pitching. Atlanta needs pitching very badly. Um, Arizona does. I'm trying to think who else. There are other teams out there that need pitching, you know, quite quite badly. And I and Atlanta uh, is a great match as far as what they have on paper that can help the Indians out right now and in the future. And they've dealt with Alex Anth- Anthopoulos is. Uh, Made made those kind of trades in the past before, you know, for Troy Tulowitzki and, and David Price, and I know those are normal years, but uh, the Indian the Indians have also dealt with him before uh, on trades before he left Toronto. So I can see them being a natural partner, but I agree with you; they should be able to get enough from if they go that route. I'll be interested to see if they do go that route at all. Um, I, if, I mean, Zach, again, Police Act's video today makes it worse. I, I think. When Clevenger lied, all the heat was taken off Plesak. It was just a, okay, he made a dumb mistake, but Clevenger lied, so it made him look worse. And and it's almost as Plesak took the video and, and took some heat back off Clevenger, but Plesak's young, cheap, and before the video, you know, at least owned up to his mistake, so I didn't think they would trade him. And I still think they won't trade him, but I could see him being suspended without pay for – a week or something. Clevenger, I, I do think they can trade because like, like we just talked about, he was going to, I think he was going to be traded this coming winter anyway. So if, if you can fix somehow fix your offense now and he's, and you're going to trade him this winter anyway. And listen, they should, this is the last thing that you were about trading, trading pitching, you know, is Logan Allen or Scott Moss or Tristan McKenzie or, 
Adam Plutko as good as Mike Clevenger? No, but if you have your front four and one of those guys is your fifth guy, you're still going to have more pitching than half the league to make the playoffs. You only got to thin the second year division anyway. You don't need all five guys in the playoffs. You don't, and, and you don't even need a winner division to get in. So for this year, you can consider that and try to fix your offense because the outfield looks abysmal. Six through nine spots in the order are terrible. So if you're going to trade this winner anyway, and he's a distraction – and you can get the offers for him, and you can make your team better in season like they did with Bauer last year, I say go ahead and do it if they can make the trade. Now, obviously, you're not going to go out and dump him for whatever just because, you know, he's causing problems in the locker room with this with this lying and trust issues. But um, I, like you said, I don't think his, his uh, value has gone down all that much. He hasn't pitched great this year, but he still has a lot of value, especially with the years of control left. So – they can still get enough for him if, if they get the right offer and they could still make the playoffs this year without him. I mean, like I said, he wasn't pitching that great anyway. Um, as far as the offense is concerned, we just talked about it. Two runs or less in 12 of 19 games. That's pretty awful. Um, and I was just looking today, Fangraphs added um, stat cast stats to their leaderboard. So that's been really helpful because usually I have to bounce back and forth between both sites to kind of look at things. So the Indians – are in 27th, and really I'm going to say they're um, almost their second to last in baseball in barrel. I'm not going to count the Cardinals and Marlins because they've lost. They've, they've not played multiple games because of uh, COVID outbreaks in their team, but the Indians have 19 barrels as a team this year. The Dodgers have 44. The Tigers, the Tigers have 31. And the Tigers lead baseball in hard hit rate at 44%. The Indians are 29 to 30. I mean, even the freaking Pirates are hitting the ball harder than them. The Pirates are probably the worst team in baseball. That's awful. And their last in slugging percentage at 293, they're slugging below 300. The Pirates are slugging better than them still. Uh I don't, I don't comprehend. I mean, okay, offense around the league is down. We know that. I mean, unless you're the Yankees, apparently. But I just don't comprehend how the offense can be so bad. I mean, Framil Reyes is hitting 292, so that he, he turned it around quick. Jose Ramirez has been fine. But outside of those two guys, nobody's hitting consistently. Oh, I'm sorry, Cesar Hernandez has been hitting. Not for power, but he's been hitting. So you've got, right now, three guys you could count on offensively, and you've got six other guys, especially three in the outfield and one a catcher, that you're just basically getting a zero from every night. I don't know how much longer they could keep that up and, and act like they're a playoff team, even in this format, even with this pitching. Yeah, you know, as I said, my concerns, quite honestly, at the beginning of the season – whenever I predicted the team would finish 32 and 28 is that they were good, but not good enough. And, you know, I, I am almost of the mindset that I would rather see them ship out pieces and make some changes for the long term than rather sit and just tread water and, and not actually be or do anything. Um, for the football fans out there, it's like being an eight and eight team. That's not bad enough to get the high pick to get the best player in the draft, but not, good enough to even make the playoffs you know that's not where you want to be and that's essentially where the Indians are right now they're 10 and 9 
almost 500. And, you know, we're, we're a third of the way into the season, as crazy as that is to say. And, you know, I don't know where they stand in the standings right now because I haven't looked, but they have the pitching to win a World Series. Yes, they need to make a change or two in the bullpen and fortify the bullpen, but they do not have the offense to win a playoff series. And, I mean, you're not going to do that with two runs a game. Averaging that, and it's not just one player. It's been numerous players. Yes, there's been an automatic out at catcher, um, but it's not just that. At least the catchers have done fine and seem to coordinate well with the with the starting pitching staff. I, I think that should be noteworthy that the catchers have done really well with the pitching staff. But at, at the same time, I mean, there's been no offensive production from the position, just like the outfield, and it's been musical chairs out in the outfield. How is anyone ever going to get into a groomer, groove or any type of rhythm if they're just constantly shuffled in and out on a regular basis? And you know, I, I feel bad for like a, a young guy like Oscar Mercado who needs to be getting at bats. I don't know if he's injured or, or what in the world is going on, but having sat for almost an entire week now, you know, it's concerning. Why not just go ahead and send him down and, uh, you know, call somebody else up and let him get some reps out in Lake County because he's, he's not doing anything but burning service time sitting on the bench in Cleveland right now. Yeah. That's, that's so bizarre. I mean, Mike Freeman has started in left field twice since the last time Oscar Mercado has played in the game. That's so, so bizarre. I mean, okay. Oscar Mercado is hitting a buck 19 on the year, but Domingo Santana is hitting a buck 67. He keeps playing, I guess, because he's working walks and he can change the game with one swing. And you've got to start three outfielders, I suppose. Although it doesn't really matter. They can just take three outs every time one of the outfielders comes to the plate and just have out there for defense. Although that doesn't even matter because they strike so many guys out. Um, it, it's, yeah, it's so hard for them to find a combination. Because on the active roster right now, you have one, two, three, four, five. You have, okay, so you have six outfielders, if you include Tyler and Aikwood now. Seven, if you include Fran Mel Reyes, although he hasn't played the outfield, which I I don't think we have time to talk about this today, but they were talking about playing him in the outfield more once they signed Domingo Santana and then, you know, touting that Reyes lost his weight over the offseason looks better out there and he hasn't played the outfield but once. So who knows where the heck that went. But he's hitting, so I guess that's all we should care about is the fact that he's hitting. Um but, yeah, I mean, and Francona said, you know, we haven't gotten anybody hot, so we're going to keep mixing and matching until we get some guys hot. But, you know, you play a guy – okay, even if you play a guy three days in a row, you've got, what, 12 at-bats, 15 at-bats max? If you play him three games in a row, what is – what are you going to get out of that? You have to let guys go for, for four, you know, for a week's worth of starts in a row. And if the guy doesn't get it together within a week – it's still not a good idea to pension because obviously we know 30 at bats to 12 at bats. What's the freaking difference? But I don't, I don't feel like anybody has played even a week's worth of games yet in a row. Have they? Not to my knowledge, maybe Zimmer coming in and out. I mean, he's been, he's been in and out just weaving back and forth. You know, I, I mentioned in the last podcast, I haven't looked at the new numbers, but it was, Five games started in right field, three in center field, four in left field. It's just been no consistency at all. 
And I think the players need consistency, especially in a, in a season where they haven't really had time to get into a rhythm. Let them play for a week straight. You know, and I look at this and I, I look at the outfield and I say, who is the outfield of the future? I mean, is it Daniel Johnson? They have to do something. And it's, it's not just using these marginal guys or just average guys year after year. You have to start putting together solutions for the future. And they're not showing, you know, they've not showed that ability to do that with the guys that they have right now. I'm not a fan of putting together a patchwork quilt of an outfield. And that's exactly what, what they've been doing. And, you know, frankly, it hasn't worked. And I think that's part of the reason we see this stagnant offense. It is in the six through nine spots because three of their three of them are occupying those six through nine spots every night. That's been a problem on the year through 80, 80. This is 80 games. That doesn't seem right. Okay. 222 plate appearances. Um, the outfield is hitting 138 and slugging 196. That is awful. Um, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know who what the answer is. I mean, like you said, you, you've got to get settle on three or four guys. You know, the Naquin and, and Luflo platoon from a year ago worked really good. You can settle on that in one spot. At, at one point, I said Zimmer had played well enough to get regular bats. I still kind of believe that. But maybe the most productive thing he's been doing is getting hit by pitches lately. So I don't even know if you can go off that. And Domingo Santana, I thought was starting to get it together, but God, just too many ground balls for you, Domingo Santana. Again, it's 45 plate appearances. In a normal year, you would say, well, give him 150 and see where he's at. Well, you can, but they're not going to have time if he's still hitting a buck 67 in, in next 100 plate appearances. Uh, to me, it's a, I mean, I know they like Mike Freeman, and Mike Freeman's a fine utility player, whatever. If you're playing him over Jordan Luplo, Oscar Mercado, uh, or Bradley Zimmer in left field, whatever you're doing, that tells me you have no confidence in those guys. And if you don't have confidence in them, how can they have confidence in themselves? And how can they get the playing time to regain that confidence and rhythm? That's the problem. And it's going to exacerbate the problem. Go ahead. You're playing a 32-year-old veteran utility guy over – guys that are in their mid twenties who really don't have the experience under the belt. They don't have a lengthy track record and Zimmer's, you know, been recovering from injuries for the last year and a half. So, I mean, he's, he's looked the the best in my opinion out of all of the outfielders, as much as he's bounced around in the outfield. And I don't think he'd really appeared in, in the corner outfield positions until this year. Uh, you know, I could be wrong, but I thought that he played primarily in center field coming up. Um, so to see him bounce around and, and to produce, if you can call hitting 200 and two and a quarter producing, you know, um, at least he has been solid and been out there. But, you know, I'm, I mean, the, the clear thing is, is they've sought upgrades in the outfield and they haven't got them. You know, they added Don Daniel Johnson in a trade. They, they added Jordan Luplo in a trade. Ramil Reyes, uh, Puig last year. They've done a number of things to the outfield, and it's still a need. It's still a position that has not really been addressed. They need somebody with star potential like a Michael Brantley, like they had in left field for years, somebody who could hold down a corner spot or or just held down a a spot in the lineup and actually produce with the bat, and they've just not gotten that. Yeah, it doesn't help that it's in a short season, and I kind of worry about some of these guys – 
and Mercado hasn't played, so who knows? And Bradley Zimmer's got a brand new swing. Don't forget, this is like the third stance and swing he's working on. And I just wonder if guys are going to start making adjustments or trying to get in their head and change this and change that because they're not performing. And then you start creating, you know, a rabbit hole of, of, of all this stuff, you know, with their swing and their stance and it's in their head and they're thinking about it before you know it, they're up there and they saw four pitches and they're back in the dugout. You know, you've got to figure out a way for these guys to gain some confidence. Don't be changing all these different things. That's what I would worry about is does a guy like Zimmer or a guy like Mercado or even a guy like Jordan Lupa who doesn't have a long track record, if they start trying to change things to get themselves going, you're all of a sudden dealing with all these guys who are in a funk and they're, they don't know what they're doing. They're worrying about their stance and their hands and their, their lower half. And they're not even worrying about the pitcher and what he's throwing because let's, let's go back to this. The Indians last night, uh, as we record this on Thursday afternoon, Wednesday night, Kyle Hendricks, who the Indians are very familiar with. I know maybe all the guys in this team are Lindor, Santana, um, Ramirez, and Tyler Naquin are all familiar with, with uh, Kyle Hendricks. And the coaching staff is familiar with Kyle Hendricks. The league is familiar with Kyle Hendricks. He threw 41 change-ups. And that's exactly what Lucas Giolito has done to them. That's what a lot of pitchers have done to them because they can't hit the change-up. They can't hit off-speed stuff in general. And it, they're not making adjustments. That, that's the most frustrating thing is it. It seems like it's the same problem every night. Uh, if you watch the broadcast, they talk about the key points of the game every night. It's make make Lucas Giolito throw something other than the changeup or um, lay off Kyle Hendricks' changeup when it goes below the zone because he wants you to swing at balls. He doesn't want you to swing at strikes. The Indians are hitting – I just had a pull up here. Uh, 193 against the changeup. I know, you know batting average is stupid, so let me switch to – the slugging percentage, because I guarantee if they're hitting 193, their slugging is 10 times worse. Uh, 281. Okay, 281 against changeups. That is, if we don't count the Cardinals, who apparently haven't seen a changeup all year, which doesn't surprise me, and we don't count the Marlins, they are ninth in baseball, uh, or ninth, uh, ninth last. They're, they're 11th, uh, ninth last in baseball and hitting the changeup this year. So there's been no adjustments made to the scouting report against them. They, the, the, the scouting report's out. The Indians know the scouting reports in these pictures, and they still can't do anything about it. That's a really frustrating thing. To me, that lies on changes need to be made further upstream, so to speak. And what I mean by that is if the players aren't adjusting, then the players need to change. Yeah, well, you can't swap out half your lineup. That's the problem. I guess you can in the outfield. You know, you can you can do a line change. With, I keep saying this. It's like a line change every night in the outfield. Like, I, I started playing the game on Twitter of guess the lineup or guess the outfield. And I was uh, – the night I started, that was obvious because they were facing John Lester. And the next night, it was three brand-new outfielders. But the results didn't change. Uh, you can't sit Francisco Lindor, who continues to – uh, chase change-ups in the dirt. You can't replace Jose Ramirez, who you know still has some issues of rolling over on change-ups. Um, 
that's the problem is the top five in your lineup were supposed to be really good. The top, you know, the bottom, we, we knew we had some questions at the bottom three. If Mercado, we expect a better out of Mercado. He hasn't been good so far, and he hasn't played since Friday, like we said. But you expected the top five to carry you, and two of your – I mean, Carl Santana's walking and getting on base, but Cesar Hernandez is getting on base, and uh, Ramirez is mostly hitting, but sometimes he's having some, some bad games. But usually when they're winning, it's when he's hitting. Reyes just is now recently got it going. So the top five guys in your lineup who have the track record of hitting aren't really. You've only got two of them going right now, or three, or two and a half, whatever you want to call it. And that's that's making the problem at the bottom three worse. If the top five were all playing up to their capability at the same time, I think you would see the bottom the bottom part of the order maybe have more opportunities and maybe some some pressure off them. I suppose the bottom line is they have, they have to make adjustments to the team. I mean, I, I think it bears out. Let me, I'm wondering if they've seen the most changeups in the league this year. Let me see. Um, no, it looks like the well, angels. While you're looking that up, I'll add in uh, just a comment about Mar- Mercado. I think he really benefited from following Francisco Lindor in the lineup last year and having that veteran ear. Telling, telling him what the pitcher was doing and stuff. And I, I'm curious how it's affected him moving down the lineup too. I suspect that has something to do with it. Just having Lindor, you know, tell him, hey, the pitcher's doing this or watch that. Um, and, and I'm curious if that's going on as much this year uh, with him batting lower in the lineup and, and obviously not seeing the pitcher immediately following him. And I think he was the beneficiary of that last season because every time I've seen the t- two of them in the dugout together, they were talking about what the pitcher was doing. Um, what was going on, and, you know, um, I, I wonder where is that veteran voice deeper in the lineup, and to me that's what they need is a, another veteran or two that is a stable guy that, you know, is going to come in and perform every day, even if they're just a 250 hitter, but they have that influence. Um, you know, I, I think that's what they are really missing is just that veteran voice in the lineup that provides some insight for some of the younger guys that are getting playing time. You know, I I think the team in general is kind of caught in a tough spot where they're transitioning from a um, world series contender to a, to a younger team um, that's still contending, but not quite there yet either at the same time. Yeah. I kind of wonder that. And I also kind of wonder if, if Francisco Lindor hitting the three spot instead of one is trying so hard to be the run producer and and when guys are getting on base in front of him instead of letting the pitcher or take what the pitcher is giving him he's trying too hard to to drive everybody in instead of you know if he's going to take a walk take a walk and let carl santana do it um so i kind of wonder if the role there is part of the issue I, I don't know if it's necessarily a leadership issue though because to me i still i mean i still think lindor is a good leader and i'm i think Domingo Santana has enough of an offensive track record where you should be able to count on him to do what he's done in the past. I know he's not that old and he's had some rough years around there too, but he's been in the league long enough and he's had enough good years where you could, you should be able to count on him there. And that should be one of those spots if he's going to play in the outfield. And I kind of, I also kind of wonder this, like this is something Jason Kittness used to say, um, who just came back and, and it was good to see him. And of course he had a, 
great series against the Indians. No shock. Um, he felt like he couldn't when he was hurt the last couple of years. He felt like he couldn't really tell a guy to to do this or do that or, or help him out because he was struggling. So he felt like it was a bad look for him to be not have his stuff together and try to go help somebody else out, even if it was a young guy. And I kind of wonder if that is like a adverse reaction to the Nick Swisher era because Nick Swisher was, to his, I guess, to some credit, to some not, he was the same guy every day coming in. Nick Swisher was, you know, full of energy and it, you know, it did rub some guys the wrong way, but uh, whether he was hitting 250 or 150, he was, you know, telling guys doing the same stuff every day and, and trying to play the veteran role. And I think it really, the reason his exodus happened when it did is because the guys were just tired of the act. They were tired of listening to him and tired of him not playing well, being injured. And Kipnis kind of had the same sentiment when, when he was here of her and he couldn't, he felt like he couldn't pass on some leadership because he wasn't performing on the field either. So no, he thought no one was going to listen to it. And I kind of wonder if, if the same thing's happening to, to Francisco Lindor to some extent. I mean, he still had really good quotes and good, you know, showed good leadership um, on this whole Clevenger and Plesak thing. And he does almost every night, but from a hitting perspective, like you're talking about, um, I wonder if he's in his own head about that too. Oh, at least uh, at least the bullpen has been a pleasant surprise, Justin. Um, <laughs> I definitely appreciate that, that they have been a lot more stable than um, I anticipated, to be honest with you. Yeah, I, I like I said, when we did our season preview, I was most I was not concerned about the lineup as much as I was concerned about the bullpen. Um, every reliever did allow a run Tuesday. James Karinchak on Wednesday allowed his first run. But I, I see James Karinchak as improving. I, I saw some – his command is getting better almost every time out. Um, he's a couple times come back from a 3-0 count uh, to strike somebody out. Um, he's, he's pitched himself out of some jams, which he does have some experience doing because he, he has walked batters in the minors. Um, but, I mean, he's still missing bats like crazy. I mean, guys are just not able to, to – I mean, I know Jason Kipnis put a ball in play against them pretty good the other night, but man, eight and two thirds innings, and his strikeout rate is what almost fifty percent, fifty one and a half. The walk rate is a little bit high for me, but the whip's only one hundred four. He's keeping guys off base because one of the guys he's putting on are walking him, but he's uh, stranding his own runners at seventy seven percent clip. I I think that he's improving. He's finishing off his development at the big league level which was, you know, pitching from behind and counts and um, utilizing scouting reports. Like last week he pitched, I want to say it was the Nick Castellanos who, I think we talked about this, who blasted two fastballs off of Bieber and then um, I can't remember who else he, it was, either way, it was Bieber's police sack for home runs and, and Karen Jack threw him like four or five breaking balls and no fastballs and he got him out. Um, I know that's part of the, you know, game plan from the pitchers and the or the catchers in the dugout, but uh, he followed the game plan to a T and it worked. That's that's been a really nice development to see as well. But Oliver Perez, I think, has I, I think we were all a little bit worried about the three batter interim rule and, and how he was going to perform, but he's 
I think been as solid as he's ever been. I mean, he's got a one two nine ERA through, um, you know, these games so far. He's got a twenty five percent strikeout rate. Hasn't really been an issue. Nick Wickren looks like he's throwing a mile an hour harder than he was a year ago. His changeup looks good. He was a fastball slider guy a year ago. Now he's throwing a changeup. Um, that's that's really uh, a welcome uh, sign from him. Adam Simber, uh, I think, has been pretty good at keeping guys from hitting the ball too hard on him. He doesn't miss bats, but uh, average launch angle against Adam Simber is negative 0.2. So when guys are hitting the ball, they're hitting it on the ground, which is what he's supposed to be doing. Cam Hill struggled the other night, but he's been solid overall. I want to see some more velocity from him. He was 93-95 in, in the minors a year ago, but now he's been mostly – um, 91-93, so I want to see if he can get some of that velocity back. And then Phil Maton, I think it's been good. I know he gave that the home run to Jason Hayward the other night, but that was a ball. Like, that was a good swing by um, Jason Hayward. I think he was looking for a ball, and he hammered it, but it wasn't even a strike. And then, you know, Brad Hand has been new Brad Hand. He's <laughs> the weak link in the bullpen, I guess, if you want to say – anything, but he hasn't pitched all week because the Indians can't score enough runs. Yeah. You know, I going over all of those guys, I, I think Krinchak has been the lin, the linchpin, if you will. Um, he has been the stabilizing force, somebody that they could bring in to put out a fire. And, you know, the, the other guys, Ollie Perez has been solid. Wickren's been all right. Simber until last night, I, I don't think it's really – given up a whole lot of damage. Hill had been impressive, had a bad night last night. Maton actually gave up a run last night too, but he had been solid in, in his few appearances that he's had. And, you know, if I remember correctly, he was only 92, 93 last year, and I've seen him hit 94 this year. So that's encouraging to see him get some of that uh, fastball velocity back. Unfortunately, um, Brad Hand hasn't really gotten much over 91, 92, and 93 I, I know that there were some reports of 94 i i didn't ever see any of 94 uh when i watched the games um you know I, i'm glad that they've been able to piece together the pen and that it has performed as it has i'm curious and, and call me distrusting but i don't know how long it can last and you know i wonder if we're starting to see a little bit of the chink in the armor if you will with that uh, i think french can only hold down so much um, but absolutely has improved his command. He has looked really good night after night. Even, even when he, he has walked people, I, I don't care because he's blowing batters away. He's getting out. He's getting fly ball out. And, you know, he, as you said, he wasn't going to um, give up a hit to Cassianos uh, a week ago whenever he faced him. Kept on just pounding him with that curveball. And Cassianos, uh, you know, he, I think he took a walk. I can't remember exactly how that played out, but he you know, I was encouraged. He, he struck him out. He did strike him out. Oh yeah. Okay. Well, that was encouraging to see French not give in to him. And, and you know, um, he hasn't had the, the fastball velocity that he did last year. He was up 97, 98 when I saw him last year. Um, but I really don't care. I mean, he's hitting 95, 96 on a regular basis and his control has improved. Maybe he's taking a little bit off of it, you know, sparing some velocity for a little bit more control. Whatever he's doing, I think he's improving and in, in showing, um, you know, glimpse of the future, if you will, for the back end of the Indians bullpen. 
yeah, it's slowly going that way. And he's, I think at this point, he's just continuing to earn the trust. We talked about how he needed to earn the trust of uh, Francona as far as high leverage and late innings and earning trust in the good way and not having to earn it back the other way, uh, like his other two teammates. And I think he's done that. I don't think there's any any reason not to trust. And and, and I think they've had him in in a lot of spots. I mean, they brought him in Wednesday against the Cubs, and they're down by, I don't know, three runs. And you're just trying to keep the game close so you can give your offense even a sliver of a chance of coming back, even though you know they're not hitting. So, yeah, the bullpen, the, the reason they're 10-9 is the starting pitching, obviously. Uh, but it's also the bullpen. If the bullpen – was not as good as they've been, they would easily be, I don't know, maybe 8-11, and, tw- or, um, eight and 11, I guess, is my, is my guess. They would certainly not be 10-9. They would not be over 500 if this bullpen had not been backing up the good starting pitching they were getting early on. Um, let's see. And Brad Ham, we'll see. I mean, I would assume he's going to pitch tomorrow regardless because he has not pitched since Sunday now, so they have to get him into a game. Maybe his velocity will creep up there for a day. We'll see. Uh, Carrasco was kind of rough Wednesday, but um, the strike zone was a little bit tight. Maybe it wasn't his best day. Uh, Plutko, I thought, pitched pretty solidly on Tuesday in, in Clevenger's spot. Um, but they drove his pitch count up early, and he wasn't able to go deep into the game. And that was an off night for the bullpen, and the Cubs did, did what you're supposed to do. You know, they, they made him work. They fouled a lot of pitches off. And they got the Indians' bullpen early on. And, and as good as the bullpen's been, they're, they were due for an off night. And anytime you get in anybody's bullpen in the fifth inning, you know you have a better chance of scoring because you can't. not every team is going to run out, um, you know, the Yankees' bullpen or Shaw Allen Miller from the fifth inning on. Uh, I just kind of wonder how long can the pitching staff ride this out. So you're not going to have Mike Clevenger. Uh, he's not going to pitch Sunday against Detroit. We have no idea when Zach Plesak's going to pitch again because the Indians are off on, on Monday as well, so they have another off day coming up. So I would imagine – I don't see a way either of those guys make a start next week. I just don't. I don't think the Indians are going to let them regardless. Um, you can't afford to lose a Shane Bieber start anymore the way the offense is going because he's going to, pick, he's going to what, give up one or two runs every night at max. You have to find a way to get wins in all of his starts. Um, and he's got to be the ace to stop the bleeding. I, I just wonder how much longer can the pitching staff continue to keep this team afloat until the offense gets it going, especially now when two of the five starters, and especially the guy who's supposed to be a number two starter, um, you don't know when they're going to start again. Yeah, that, that's a lot of weight on the starting pitchers. To, to carry, especially with a little bit of transition with uh, Clev and Plesak out um, because of their own <laughs> um, because of their own um, I'm trying to think of a kind <laughs> word <laughs> transgressions, I'll use that because of their own transgressions <laughs> but uh, they brought it on themselves, you know so you, gee whiz, I mean putting Pluko out there I think he performed admirably against the Cubs the other night. Obviously, he hadn't, I think, maybe appeared in one or two games to that point. So for him to come in and make a start and to perform like he did and only give up one run, 
you know, I think you can't ask for better in that kind of situation. Um, Cookie, the strike zone was being pinched at the top. It was being pinched here and there. Uh, looking at baseball stat cast, I, I, you know, the, the umpire was very erratic last night. Cookie wasn't uh, as sharp as he could be. At the same time, you know, I, I think he came in and he battled and tried to do what he could. Um, you know, just no offense. What if the Indians had actually scored five runs last night? I mean, it would actually have been a game. Maybe they wouldn't have got into the pen. Um, if, if the offense was averaging just a run more, you know, I mean, this is a lot better team. I, I just can't think that these starting pitchers can continue to to wear the strain that they are um, or carry the load that they are um, without it eventually wearing on them throughout the season. And, you know, maybe it doesn't show now, maybe it won't show in the middle of the season, but I think at the tighter moments toward the end of the season and this um, everybody, uh, almost everybody in the playoffs, you know, type of race, I, I do think little things matter in losing games by one run because a guy is just not sharp um, will matter or losing a game by one run because they didn't have any offense, you know, it, it's going to come back and bite them and every single game matters. And maybe it's just playoff seating, you know, that it costs them, but that may cost them a series too, you know, because they don't match up against a, a particular team very well. Uh, you know, and I know I'm looking way ahead, but I, I do think that the strain will continue to wear on the starting pitching. They can only um, handle so much of the load, and, and they have been carrying the team to this point. And Shane Bieber, you know, as you pointed out, they, they cannot afford to lose one of his starts. What if he accidentally gives up three runs in a game? You know, I mean, what if he has an off night? Um, heaven forbid that. It, you know, there's just so much required of the starting pitchers when your offense is only averaging two runs you're asking for near perfection from from the um starting pitcher every night and that's just not going to happen yeah and if the indians had scored if the indians are averaging four runs a game let's just let's just assume um if they scored four runs in the games where four runs would have won them the game they would have four more wins they'd be 14 and five instead of 10 and nine that includes their July 25th extra inning loss to Kansas City. Um, that includes a 3 nothing shutout at Minnesota, a 3-1 loss to Minnesota, and a 2-0 loss to Chicago. If they can score four runs in those games, that's four more wins. And and four runs isn't a lot. Like it's it's there are teams that average five runs a game. They can and the thing is the offense is capable of it. The offense has enough guys to do it. Lindor, Ramirez. Santana, Reyes, I'll even say Domingo Santana to an extent. If you look at Oscar Mercado's 2019, Jordan Luplo's production against left-handed pitching, Tyler Naquin's production against right-handed pitching, Roberto Perez's 2019, all those guys have done it and, and to some extent have come through as a major league offensive piece before. And if they, this, that means, to me that says they're capable, they just are struggling and it's just, I mean, maybe, maybe it's a matter of time before they get it going. Maybe it's not. But unfortunately, with this year, you don't have a lot of time to do that. And that's the biggest issue. Um, you know, you, you brought up uh, Perez potentially coming back, and it sounds like he may be soon. Um, <laughs> yeah. Speaking of further distractions, you know, I mean, uh, his comments or his sarcastic comments, you know, thanks for the support to Zach Measle. 
on Twitter, you know, and then deleting his account. You know, it, these are not things that they need. And does does Roberto really help the offense? Is he the player that he was last year? I don't think so. I think it was probably a career year offensively, and he's an excellent defender. Um, he saves a lot of runs. He calls a great game, and he works excellently with the pitching staff. But, um, you know, I, I don't think he's going to help the offense that much. I don't think he'll be an automatic out, kind of like we've seen um, right now. You know, it, it reminds me growing up when we didn't have enough players and we used the ghost man or we just did the automatic out whenever, whenever the you know, extra position wasn't there. That's kind of what the Indians offense has got from the catching position. Will he provide something more than that? Probably, but how much more, we don't know. I mean, for him to be out for a few weeks, you can't expect him to come back hot either, you know? Yeah, from a talent standpoint, I think he can repeat what he did a year ago. Um, I have severe doubts that he's going to um, just because he had 11 plate appearances before he got hurt, and it's not like any of the other guys on the team are hitting very well. So you, you take him out of the lineup, take him out of getting consistent at-bats, He's recovering from an injury. Um, who knows how many at-bats he's taking in Lake County, if he is at all. But, I, I mean, by default, I would say he's probably better than than having Bo Taylor start every couple of games. Like, I'm not going to blame Bo Taylor because he's outmatched. He probably shouldn't be on a major league roster. But Sandy Leone's been terrible offensively. I just don't see how – like I said, by default, Roberto Perez should be a little bit better, but you, you can't count on Roberto Perez to come back and pick up your lineup. If that's what you're waiting for, then this lineup's, you know, even in deeper trouble. And and without the without the reps, I just don't see how he's going to jump back in and be himself from a year ago. As much as I feel like in a normal year, he could do that again or something close to it. Um. I just don't see it for the lack of reps. And yeah, the distraction thing is funny. That's 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 so weird for Roberto Perez to do that and to do it to one of the best media members the Indians have out there. I mean, Zach is as fair and and accountable of a reporter as there is on the beat, um, and tells a lot of great stories, especially Roberto Perez's own story in the past. Um, so for him to do that was just very childish and, and yeah, they don't need more distractions. And I, with all that, we can wrap it up the same way we started it with all this going on. I just have a hard time. This is, this is going to be the toughest challenge for, this was already going to be a tough challenge for every team uh, with this, this weird, strange season. I mean, the Cardinals haven't figured it out yet. The Marlins, I guess have, and they're winning for God's sakes. I mean, they're, they're winning ball games somehow after their, their whole mess of, of COVID incidents. Um, but it's going to be a challenge to bring this locker room together, and that's usually what Terry Francona is good about. But I don't know if any manager, even Terry Francona, um, is capable of kind of repairing that fracture. And, and maybe, maybe the other um, 26 guys – can pull together in spite of Plesak and Clevenger's actions. You know, maybe they can pull together on their own because to me, this has to come from the players. I don't know that the locker room is such a place of trust. These guys are with each other day in and day out. And it's more important now than ever because of the health situation, especially regarding Francona and Carrasco. Um, 
it's, they're going to have to pull together in, in the, on the player's side. I don't know if this repair, it can't, you can't have a, it's like, it's like having a, I don't know, a teacher or a coach. I mean, I guess referring to kids is a bad way to go about it. But you almost have it going on between the teammates. You can't have somebody else come in and, and tell – they're not kids. So you can't say – you don't have a coach coming in and say, kids, get, I'm, I'm the adult here. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to pull together. These guys are adults. That's the problem. It's, it's, they're adults. They have to do it for themselves. You can't have – somebody else be the adult in the room and, and treat these guys like kids. They have to do it for themselves. And I don't think it's going to be Frank Oda is going to be going to be the one who brings them back together. They're going to have to do it themselves to an extent as good as Frank Kona usually is in the locker room. I, I think maybe what we're seeing is I think what everyone in our society is feeling and what I mean by that is some frustration boiling over and, and coming out and seeing that. Um, I think everyone is frustrated right now with the pandemic carrying on and just the state of the world, so to speak. Um, I think maybe some of those frustrations with the pandemic and, and the new life that the baseball players are living is some of what uh, a young guy in Zach Plesak is trying to express and doing so poorly. I, I think, you know, that's where you need a better somebody who can speak into his life and say, hey, you know, this is how you handle the situation. Um, I think he's got an uncle. It, it seems like I know that there's an uncle, some guy named Dan that, you know, <laughs> should come into the picture and say, hey, Zach, you know, let me pull you under my wing and, and let me show you what the difference is between a professional baseball player and an amateur baseball player. And it's not just Zach, and I don't want to harp on Zach because I really like him. Um, I high on him as a pitcher and – I was a young man and I made a lot of mistakes in my own life. I understand all of that, but I also understand integrity and being true to your word and also owning your mistakes. Um, I think it's frustrating and it's disappointing to see Roberto take a, what I would call a snipe shot at, at Zach Measle when it's not necessary. Um, I'm glad he deleted his Twitter account. <laughs> Maybe for the best. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's for the best. Maybe an apology to, to Zach. And, and who knows if Zach even noticed that it ever happened. I don't know, you know. Um, but it, it's out in the public, and, and you're aware of it. I'm aware of it, and others are too. And it's something that just shouldn't happen. Um, I, I tend to think it's probably frustration from a lot of people right now that, that's being expressed. And, and I think we all can understand being frustrated with, with the way things have played out with the coronavirus and with the, the way the baseball season has played out. I think there are times in our lives when, when we need somebody to come in and be a voice in our life and say, Hey, this is the right way to handle this situation. Um, hopefully Terry Francona is the stabilizing voice. Hopefully some of the other team leaders will be able to be that stabilizing voice, not for just the young players, but for the team as a whole. And they can draw together because they're going to need that in what 41 games that remain. They sure are. And this locker room in the past and Frank Cohen in the past, this organization in the past has been able to do that. We'll see if this is a test they can <clears throat> kind of work their uh, values and, and things that the organization has always prided itself on. We'll see if that corrects the, the issues. So Friday night, 705 is, um, 
Aaron Savali and Ivan Nova. Saturday is, I believe, Shane Bieber and Spencer Turnbull. I, mean, I could be wrong. Let me see if I have that right. Um, Savali and Nova Friday, the 14th. Turnbull and Bieber on Saturday, the 15th. And Sunday is Adam Plutko and Michael Fulmer. And then the Indians are off Monday. <clears throat> and then they start a three-game set against the Pirates. And then I believe they play the Tigers after that. We'll, we'll get back together um, before the Pirates or the uh, Pirate or the the next Tiger series, probably not before the Pirates series starts. But um, this, to me, is an important stretch. I think how the how the team responds this weekend, both on the field and their body language, if they're going to get I mean, that, that's the other thing. This team has been really good. I don't want to drag on too much longer. We've already gone long enough, but. This team in the past has been really good at putting the previous day behind them um, and, and showing up to play the next day and worrying about that day's game. And if they're able to do that, hopefully things get better this weekend in Detroit. Because I think Detroit right now is in front of them at, at 9 and 7, and the Indians are 10 and 9. I, I think this is a big series. I think this is a big, this is a big week. They have three against the Tigers – three against the Pirates and three more against the Tigers. I think this is a, a critical stretch of their season because they have to show they can put this behind them, get the offense going against a, a team in the division and beat up on the Pirates who are the worst team in baseball right now. I, I definitely agree with you. I, I say in the next nine, 10 games, they need to win at least six or seven games. They, they need to pull away from the pack, so to speak. And make their presence known in the division, and frankly, for at this point, they're not doing that. Yeah, that's the. It, it, this is going to be, like I said, I think this is going to be a critical stretch of their season because the thirty, like you said, a quarter, twenty, twenty percent of the season is going to be over. So we'll see what happens after that. Uh, we'll get back next week. In the meantime. Uh, please continue to read John's Indians coverage. Um, tune into the IBI Twitter account, official underscore IBI, and all the post-game shows we're on almost every night, win or lose, talk about the reaction or talk about the game and get your reaction. So we've been having fun doing that. We hope everybody who was tuned in is having fun with that and, and calls in. Uh, regardless if your opinion is, is negative or positive, we've been taking uh, calls on the entire spectrum, and, and let me tell you, John handles trolls. I'm glad John's hosting that because he handles trolls way better than I do. Uh, I'm good at recording, but I'm live. John's got live TV experience, and um, he's good at playing off that, so good for John. Uh, and also, continue to read the top 51 uh, midseason prospect re-ranking reports today. Uh, 45 to 41 was out. Uh, if you didn't read, if you can't read, I'll tell you who they are. Uh, what 45 was Ray Burgos, 44 was Kyle Nelson, uh, 43, I believe, was uh, gosh, I just posted the story. I think I would remember it off the top of my head. I believe it was Ray Delgado, I'm gonna say, it was 43. Or maybe it was the audience about this. 43 was indeed Ray Delgado, 42, Jose Tina, 41. Jordi's Valdez look for the uh, rest of the 40 to come out here in the coming days and over the next week. Anything you want to plug or add, Willie, before we get out of here? Not right now. I just say check that out. Um, 
uh, a lot of work going into that. It's it's small samples of what is to come in the off season, but we wanted to recap and just touch on all of the prospects. So that's kind of what we're doing. We did re-rank them, and there's uh, an additional set of eyes on them now. Actually, two new sets of eyes on, on them now, mm -hmm. uh, including myself, because I did help finish up the last time um, this spring, but I didn't quite jump in on all of those. Um, so with three sets of eyes, three different opinions on the guys, you, you get a different take and, and some new rankings. And then with new talented talent added to the system, um, there'll be a few guys move here and there, but not a whole lot. Um, definitely check that out. And I am uh, still working on some draft stuff. So there'll be some dripping out here and there. Um, as life warns it right now, things have been pretty active for me uh, with work and just life in general. But I do intend on getting, getting some more stuff out, especially as we get nearer and nearer to draft season, which is, part of my favorite time of year. Yep, so stay tuned for all that and um, follow us on Twitter. You can follow Willie at uh, W-I-L-L underscore H or I'm sorry, H-O-O-9-9. You can follow me at J-O underscore baseball and follow official underscore on the I for more uh, stories, video clips and recaps every game. Thanks for listening if you got this far and we'll catch you next week.